the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program, Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls. We try to answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. You know, so many interesting stories coming out over the weekend um, on the Ukraine-Russia circumstance. And one of the uh, images that I saw, I'm thinking it was on Friday, it might have been on Saturday, was an older Russian woman taking a bag of sunflower seeds to a Russian soldier and handing this bag of sunflower seeds to the Russian soldier and basically said that she hopes that when this Russian soldier dies, that his dead and decomposing body would serve as the manure, the fertilizer, if you will, for those future uh, sunflowers that emerge. When she said that, one of the things that I did not know was that the sunflower is the national flower, if you will, of Ukraine. And another um, interesting story that came out, and by the way, the number again is 303-873-1935. There was um, an interpreter, a veteran interpreter, who was interpreting uh, interpreting uh, Vladimir uh, Zelensky's speech. The, the uh, president of Ukraine basically spoke on Sunday um, and addressed the nation and the world and um, reminded everyone that the country has survived yet another attack, uh, a night of attacks by Russian troops. And, and then he said this through the interpreter. The interpreter said, Russia is on the path of evil, Zelensky said. The world must deprive Russia of the right to vote on the U.N. Security Council, unquote. The interpreter then choked up. This is a German interpreter. When trying to translate this comment from Zelensky, Zelensky said, quote, Ukrainians, we know exactly what we are defending. We will definitely win. Last night was brutal in Ukraine. Again, the shelling. Again, the bombing of residential areas and civilian infrastructure, unquote. The unnamed interpreter for the German news outlet, WELT, couldn't translate the remainder of the Ukrainian president's comments. After breaking down once more, she reportedly apologized before going off the air. And for his part, Zelensky 
who's refused to flee the country despite threats against his safety. Now, again, the, the, the news has reported that he was invited by the United States government. But what I would, I would be even more specific. He was invited by President Joe Biden to flee for his life. And it was to Joe Biden that Zelensky said, I don't need a ride. I need help. So he said that he needs help to ensure the citizens remain an autonomous country. Now, there have been several reports that have once again reminded us that Ukraine isn't a country without flaws, without problems, and without, I'm going to use the term, mistakes. But Zelensky said the night was hard. The people rose to defend their state, and they showed their true faces. This is terror. He said they're going to bomb our Ukrainian cities even more. They're going to kill our children even more insidiously. This is an evil that has come to our land, and it must be destroyed. He said, if children are born in shelters, even when the shelling continues, then the enemy has no chance in this undoubtedly people's war. Zelensky continued to victory, glory to Ukraine. Now, I'm reminded of another Eastern European who faced down Russian oppression. His name was Vaclav Havel. He said, quote, hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense, regardless of how it turns out. <laughs> The future is as bright as the promises of God. And um, several U.S.-based pastors born in Ukraine have indicated shock. I I talked with a person uh, a couple of days ago who just literally had spent a month in Russia and got back not last Friday, but a week ago last Friday. So it was a, a week before all of this stuff started to unfold. And he basically told me for the month that he was there, that the Russian people were convinced that Putin would not invade Ukraine, that they were repeatedly told that he would not invade. So, so there, there's this growing group of people, world leaders and other people who basically couldn't bring themselves to believe that he would go through with this. And so, again, it's interesting to me. Um, In Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, it says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own good, leading to edification For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell 
on me. Paul encourages the Romans to follow Christ and his example. Paul anticipates the person who might ask the question, why in the world would I voluntarily give up my freedom or restrict my behavior to make someone else happy? Why should I voluntarily limit my freedom? And Paul's answer is, for even Christ didn't please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He's quoting Psalm 69, verse 9. Paul is citing the psalmist, but he anticipates the question, does this Old Testament passage even apply to my circumstances or to me? And Paul answers, of course it does. These things were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That's what it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Paul's making an argument that we should patiently and lovingly and thoughtfully allow for differences. And we shouldn't allow those differences to mushroom into divisions. I'll have more to say when we come back. 303-873-1935. That's the number. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. 303-873-1935. I was talking a little bit about, well, the book of Romans. When when Paul encourages the Romans in chapter 15, he says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And um, Paul, like I said, is making an argument to patiently, lovingly, thoughtfully allow for differences. We should not allow those differences to mushroom into divisions. And so it begs the question, what are the attributes of a healthy church, a healthy congregation, a healthy ministry? But we could even go so far as to say a healthy home, a healthy country, a healthy world. And Paul's answer might surprise you. In Paul's world, the healthy church is the one that's marked by the mature, helping the immature. In his world, everyone who seeks to know and obey the scriptures in verse 4, and everyone who works in harmony and unity and hope in verses 5 and 6, and everyone who accepts everyone absent discrimination in verses 7 through 12. In Paul's dream church, everyone has hope. And not just any kind of hope, but biblical hope. Let's see who's up. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Shauna, welcome to the program. I do want to join you because you're fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, so 
My question, in one of the Gospels, um, Jesus is talking to Peter, I believe, I could be wrong, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Oh, yeah. Um, does that word Satan translate different in Hebrew? Well, um, it's the it's a Hebrew word that actually means adversary or yes. opponent. Okay, yes. And so when he says, get behind me, Satan, does he literally believe that Peter is Satan? And and the answer is no, but he he actually understands that what Peter is doing is he's cooperating with the adversary. So those what you're talking about is found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, and in Mark chapter 8, verse 33. Where in Matthew's gospel, he said, he turns and he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me, for you're yes. not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So remember what Peter had done is Jesus had just explained to them that he's going to go to Jerusalem, that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be tortured, that he's going to be killed, and that he's going to come back to life. And and for some reason, Peter only hears, uh, you're going to be tortured and killed, but he, he doesn't hear the part about coming back to life. Mm-hmm. And so that word, it means the one who is in opposition. Now, there's a couple of ways of thinking about it. It might seem harsh and out of character for Jesus, especially when he's talking to somebody who cares so much about him. But again, Jesus isn't mincing words. And so he, he is, he understands (laughs) if I can be so bold that Peter is like a sock puppet. The, the words that are coming out of his mouth aren't necessarily Peter's words. Now, remember, remember earlier what, what, what has also happened, that Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. So at, at one moment, he's speaking Correct. the words. That's really where my mind loves to dive deep and really you, understand. Right. So, you should, it should and blow. I love that you're giving me more to go, because I was getting hung up on that word. Um, that's why I wanted the depth of conversation we're having because I love to live here. It's so fun. Right. Um, and so, so the one of the ways of thinking about it, just like Peter isn't the Holy spirit, but he is speaking the words of the Holy spirit is, is Peter possessed by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to suggest to you, no, the answer is no. He's not possessed by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit uses him. But now Satan uses him. Because remember, just like God is going to use Peter to to reveal part of his plan, now Jesus reveals his plan for the first time. And by the way, this is the first time he's at a place called Panius or, or, or Caesarea Philippi. And um, I happen to know this place because I've been to it many, many times. And this is a place where idolatry is rampant. 
And so for the very first time, Jesus reveals his plan to his disciples. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to come back to life. But contrary to their expectations of him, Jesus explains that he not only came to establish um, an earthly, me- he, he, he's not come to establish a messianic kingdom. The disciples aren't prepared for this new revelation. Remember, in their mind, he's God's Messiah. He's going to free us from the, the yoke and the bondage and the oppression Correct. of the Roman Empire. The king, the fighter, which wasn't true because he was meek. Um, but right. Knowing, right. Yes. So like many Jews, he's going to have to come to grips. He can't reconcile his view of a conquering Messiah with a suffering and a dying yes, Messiah. And so Peter thinks he's doing him a favor and he begins to rebuke <laughs> him <Yeah>. for having <laughs> such a fatalistic mindset. Yes. Um, and so it would be normal, like for me, and it just, I'm so just loving to learn. It's so fun. Um, The same person that knows who he is, and then the same person who also knows who who doesn't understand. um, It's it's wow to me because you know he's Peter. He built the church. He's the rock. (laughs) But he's such an interesting person. Um, And so in my mind, I really. It was that word, and so I'm glad we've taken it to another right. level, because just the word got me off track. Yeah, so so this becomes part of the challenge for you and for me. I, I won't speak for you, but I will speak for me. Jesus, so so here's Peter, okay? And all of a sudden, he has the wrong perspective about God's plan for Christ, his suffering and his death. So this should be a little wake-up call for you and for me that we can become an unwitting spokesperson for Satan. That when we, when we lose the perspective of what the Bible says on any given subject, when we lose sight of God's plan for us, when we begin to disconnect and we focus on our career, or on, on our possession, our security of what the world offers rather than sacrifice and service, all of a sudden we just, we just let go for a moment and our desire and our plans shift. And it happens in a split second. Correct. Mm. Isn't that fun? Isn't that fun to talk it about? It really is. It's such a level my brain craves to understand. And so, you know, I'm just trying my best. You know, thank you for walking me through that because you, it was what I needed to hear to remind myself to never take my eyes off to Jesus, <laughs> know anything. <laughs> hey, well, thanks for the call. Have a great day, Gino. You too. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. Before I take the call, 303-873-1935, just want to add another thing about that name, Satan. And um, the Hebrew word... Um, well, the old English word Satan from the late Latin sit, Satan. In Greek, Satanas, Hebrew, it means adversary or one who plots against another from Satan to show enmity, oppose, 
um, in the Septuagint, it was translated into Greek as diabolos, the slanderer. It could actually even mean one who throws something across the path of another, the implication being trying to keep them from continuing. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Angela, welcome to the program. Thank you. You're welcome. My question is, I'm, I'm just, keep stretching my head up. There's two, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Why do we have a New Testament? And do we go by the New Testament or the Old Testament? And when did that New Testament come in play? Well, Jesus himself said that he's going to give you a new covenant, a new and everlasting covenant. So the Old Testament and the New Testament is the the old covenant that's a promise that God made with humanity, and then a new covenant. So God in the Old Testament made a promise with humanity that he was going to find a way to forgive sin and restore fellowship against those people who were in rebellion. Well, the basis of that quote-unquote promise or covenant was the giving of the law to Moses. But then in the New Testament, God gives something greater than the law. He gives Jesus. So Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant or the new agreement or the New Testament. And so what the New Testament says is that his death on the cross and then his subsequent resurrection becomes the basis of how we're to think about God's promise and then how we accept God's promise. What's interesting is the new covenant was predicted in the old covenant. Oh, that makes more sense now. Right. That's that's why it all plays together, I see. Right. And so the old covenant, the old covenant that God established required people to obey the Mosaic law. But here was the problem. They were, they didn't do it. In other words, what the law wound up doing was proving that they were a lawbreaker. And so here, here, here becomes the problem that the wages of sin is death. It says in Romans 6, 23. So the law required that Israel perform daily sacrifices to atone for sin. But Moses, through whom God establishes the Old Covenant, anticipates the New Covenant. When he addresses the nation in Deuteronomy 29.4, he says, But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear. So he predicted, he predicted, you know what, God's given us this agreement, but you're going to break the agreement. And then the prophet Jeremiah said, the day is going to come, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. That's Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-one. And so Jesus comes. Jesus comes to fulfill the law of Moses, establish the new covenant. And so 
on that night, the Bible says that he was betrayed. He takes bread and he breaks it and he says, take this and eat it, all of you. This is my body, which will be sacrificed or given for you. He takes a cup and he goes, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and the everlasting, the new and the everlasting covenant. And so according to Jesus, the only way that you can enter into an agreement with God is by faith in Christ and his blood and his sacrifice. Oh, I understand it now, because hey. I was just so lost in that part right there, because I was Catholic for years and would never discuss a lot of this, and then I just started listening to the Christians, Christians preaching and stuff and reading the Bible more, and it's just like, okay, wait a minute, I'm lost somewhere. Well, so, and, and think about understand. that. Think about that statement. Salvation is a free gift. If it's a free gift, you can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't be a quote-unquote good person. And, and, and just imagine growing up in a world where you go, God, if I'm just good enough, I can go to heaven. Well, right. then that, that means we're all going to hell. <laughs> right. Because everyone I, falls short. And so in Hebrews 7.22, this is called a better covenant. Hey, thank you for your call. Thank you so much for helping me understand that a lot better. I appreciate it. You are welcome. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Mo, welcome to the program. Hi. Thank you, Gino. How are you? Good. Um, I had a question. I, I, I kind of misspoke earlier. I said I was going to ask about the temple in Habakkuk, but it's actually in Haggai. Okay. Um, <clears throat> And uh, and I'm referring to the temple and how the um, Bible says that it was the the new temple that was built was going to have a greater um, glory than the first one. So you'll remember in Haggai chapter one, um, the Lord said, "These people say." the time has not yet come to build the house of the Lord. Right. So the basis of what's going on in this book is the disobedience of the Jews who stopped rebuilding the temple because of the opposition of the Sumerians. And so Haggai teaches that God is sending his judgment because the Jews have neglected the temple of the Lord. Why is this even important? Because remember, it's the temple of the Lord. This is the place where God is going to reveal himself, and this is the place, this is the only place where sacrifice can take place. In other words, sacrifice can't take place in Colorado Springs. It can't take place in Denver. It can't take place in Assyria. It can't take place in Athens. And so he's teaching them that the reason why their harvest failed and their finances were were cursed, if you will, is because they weren't obeying God. And so the, together with the prophet Zechariah, he prompted the restart of the building project. And then once the people go back on track, the temple's completed. So right. your question is for what? For what part of Haggai? Um. For so in chapter two, okay, um, of where, where it talks about how okay, so 
he God is making a promise to them that the um, once they have rebuilt this temple, that it's going that the uh, the future glory of this temple in verse nine is going to be greater than its past glory. Right. Um, and and, and you, I kind of so ask ask the question. Go ahead and ask the question to the text. Say why. Why why well, is this temple going to be more glorious than Solomon's temple that was destroyed by the Babylonians? Go ahead, ask the text. Why is that? <laughs> okay, why is that? And the answer is because Jesus is going to show up in this temple. Jesus that that temple that is begun by Haggai is going to be continued mm-hmm. all the way to Herod, and it's this temple. It's that temple that be, that's be, that's prompted the restart of the building project begins there, but then Jesus shows up, and he says those words that you remember, tear down this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. Remember, they are thinking that it's the temple that Haggai prompts them to begin building and Ezra prompts them to begin building but but the reason why that temple is more glorious is because Jesus is going to show up in that temple right isn't that cool and yeah and I gotta I, go I, I, I gotta go <laughs> hey welcome back ladies and gentlemen this is Gino Geraci so glad you could join me the numbers 303-873-1935 we were talking with Mo in Colorado Springs. And I want to give you an opportunity. I know you had something else you wanted to add, but before you do, I just want to remind you of the verse itself. Okay. Just quickly. Can I do that? And and Haggai 2, 9, it says the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the Lord almighty. And then it says this. And in this place, I will grant Shalom declares the Lord almighty. That gives us a clue to the meaning of the first part. In other words, in what way in this place will he grant shalom? He's going to bring peace because the rebellion is going to, quote unquote, come to an end. The sacrifice is going to come to an end. Jesus is going to show up, but then he's going to be sacrificed. And guess what? The rebellion is now defeated And now people have not only peace with God, they have the peace of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And that's why the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former one. And, and I thank you for that because I I didn't think I didn't connect those dots that Jesus was going to show up in this one. Um, My, my thought was, and the reason I, I asked the question is because while I was studying that, I had a kind of a, I wondered if this was an allegory to how we could look at some things going on in our country right now, um, because many people realize the the past glory of our country, and and now we kind of seem to be in have gone through kind of like this troubling and this these changes, and and some people want to hold on to the past glory, but what if God is is saying that He can do something and build a well, the, a, a greater future glory. Yeah, the way that I would think about it, you're, I think you're on the right track. But I don't think it's just a national thing. I think right. that it's a national, but it's also a personal thing. But the way that I would rephrase it, I think, 
is that Haggai is asking us to examine our priorities to see if we're more interested in our own pleasure than doing what God wants done. And then I would, so, so uh, uh, again, do, does that priority include the pleasure, if you will, of, of being in the most powerful country in the world? Well, you know what? I like being in America, and I like the United States, and I like freedom, and I like what that freedom provides. But you're exactly right. At what point are we going to allow our own pleasures to make us abandon the work of God. Right. And and then the, to reject the defeatist attitude that when we're experiencing opposition or discouraging circumstances, confess failure and then live pure lives before the Lord. Because So this is a call to the church, to the church. Right. The church needs to be able to say, we need to confess our failures. How? Mo, how many in how many ways have we confessed? Uh, have have we failed? We have failed in so many ways yeah. that that's going to be a laundry list in and of itself. And then to act courageously for God, because we have the assurance that He is with us. He's in control of the circumstance. He's going to secure the future that He's prophesied. Right. And, but you, but and you, I don't want to monopolize all, all your No, 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 but, but I, know, are you getting what I'm saying? Does it make absolutely. sense? Yes, and I, I, I really appreciate your, your insight on that. Is that why in, in Ezra, where it kind of refers to this, how, you know, it was talking about how the, the young people were praising and worshiping after the foundation was right. relayed, but the older people were, were crying? Right, because it didn't match the glory of... Of the and and the way that I'm going to use that is the beauty, the symmetry, the gold. But so that's part of the point of the rebuke. It's it's right. hey, it isn't just in the the construction or the gold or the beauty. In other words, we live in a culture and a society where I'm trying to think of a of an analogy where the Think of the Parthenon when it was fully complete, or think of the beauty of the most beautiful building you've ever seen, and then right. a hut or you know something you know there there are buildings that are more beautiful than others but right. but this is the point that Haggai is giving it 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 isn't the glory of the beauty of the construction of the building. It's the glory of the person who's going to show up. And then you'll yeah. remember Zerubbabel. He's God's signet uh-huh. ring. It represents the house of David, the resumption of the messianic line. Zerubbabel establishes or reestablishes, if you will, the Davidic line. And by the way, if you look at Joseph's genealogy in Matthew and Mary's uh-huh. genealogy in Luke, Zerubbabel is in both of them. This Zerubbabel, my servant, um, through Haggai, God promises to make him like a signet ring, which is that symbol of honor, authority, power, which, again, is I'm connecting the dots for you. This man must exist to bring about the messianic line. God's promises must 
be fulfilled. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. I, I um, again, you didn't, you, you opened my eyes to some of the stuff that the other dots to be connected in that. And I appreciate it. Well, you are welcome. And I hope, are you teaching this book? Um, not yet, but uh, maybe I, I do actually kind of develop a study out of it for one of my Bible study groups. Well, cool, McCool, and keep doing the work. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for your time. Hey, you are welcome. 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. Yeah, people are, might be wondering, Haggai? I didn't even know that was in the Bible. But, um, you know, in every book, Jesus is that person who's the desire of all the nations. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord says, I'm going to shake the nations. And what's desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. The King James Version uses the phrase, the desire of all nations. The desire of all nations. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, or the desire of the nations will come. So again, who is that? Who or what is that? And because of the new of the King James translation, some have taken this verse as a reference to the Messiah, Jesus. And this interpretation is given wider circulation every Christmas season and on Christmas cards and Christmas carols. Hark the herald angels sing. One line in the song says, Come, desire of nations, come, fix in us thy humble home. And of course, the desire of nations in Charles Wesley's hymn is speaking of Jesus as the Messiah. But the Hebrew word, Kimda is collective, singular, meaning the idea expressed as plural. The better translation is desired or what is desired. And it provides the parallel. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, says the Lord. The desired objects are most likely earthly treasures. And so... In verse, chapter 2, verse 9, which we were just talking about, he's talking about something that's more glorious. The latter glory will be greater due to the wealth of, of the nations pouring in. But I suspect that Jesus is involved. Hey, thanks for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow taking your calls, answering your questions. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.